Welcome back to the Theology of the Buddy podcast, episode 20. Happy Easter, everyone! In this episode, Chris sits down with two other secular discalced Carmelites to discuss the secular discalced Carmelite vocation and the impact of their formation on their lives as married people living in the secular world. Easter is here, so come on in. We've saved a seat at the table just for you. Roll that fresh musical intro. Welcome back to the Theology of the Buddy Podcast, episode 20. Welcome to the Theology of the Buddy podcast, Greg and Jen. How are you? Good. Good. Yeah. Welcome in. Welcome in, guys. It's great to have you in. Thank you so much for having. Good to be here. Yeah. Awesome. So, so today on the show, we're going to be talking about the really cool vocation of the secular order of Discalced Carmelites. Um, so, you guys are both in the secular order now. Can you? Can you give us a little bit of background background? I guess we'll start with Jen. Jen, how did you how did you discover Carmel itself? <laughs> That's not a short story. <laughs> okay. Well, let's hear. Um okay, so when I was in university, my sister was in a religious order, and um just through talking with her a lot, I really loved her way of life and being able to follow sort of a a routine of prayer. Um, And one of the things she sort of talked about that she really loved about being in the convent was um, that there was this, because of obedience, no matter what she did, big or small, so long as she was following sort of her rule and her superiors, that she was doing God's will. And for myself, being in university where everything was pretty chaotic and challenging, that really appealed to me. Um, and she, but I knew I wasn't called to be a religious sister. I knew that marriage was my vocation. So she told me about um, secular orders, and that's at that point I started started investigating different kinds of secular orders. And uh, I looked at Dominicans because she was Dominican and she had given me a book uh, called The uh, Spiritual Doctrine of Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity, uh, which I found profoundly life-changing for myself. And uh, because she was Carmelite, um, I really fell in love with that Carmelite sort of way of life. And I started researching the Carmelites as well. And lo and behold, there happened to be a Carmelite community um, in the city I was living in at the time in London, Ontario. Uh, and so things kind of all just came together uh, that way. Yeah. So how old were you at that point? Um, when I first started looking, I was probably 19. That's awesome. So from a very young age, you found uh, a desire yeah. for Carmel. It That's cool. It took me until I was 22 to actually get up the courage to <laughs> to contact them but <laughs> <Right. laughs> that's cool that's cool greg what what's your story well created catholic and living very lukewarmly for most of my life and at the time i was just coming out of that phase the holy spirit woke me up and i was getting into all things catholic learning about the various aspects of it um rosary devotion was starting to grow with me although i played the rosary only uh, intermittently prior to that getting into these scapulars so seeing all these extra scapulars and whatnot and i'm like the brown scapular it sounds pretty cool so i should get enrolled apparently okay so at the time i was uh, going to daily mass at uh Senator the apostle here in london ontario and it was a carmelite uh run church when I asked to be enrolled in the scapular, the priest somewhat misunderstood my intention and got me involved in the secular order. So, are you <laughs> ready for this? I'm like, yeah, let's get enrolled. And he's like, well, I'll have someone call you. I'm like, oh, this is really serious. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> they have meetings about this stuff. Okay, let's look into this. And then I got a call from the president and uh he was talking about secular orders and 
being cradle Catholic and educated in a Catholic school, I, of course, had no clue what he was talking about. Yeah. But his questions sounded very intriguing. And again, it just jived with what I was trying to do at that time in my life, trying to become a holy person. Um, researching the uh, opportunity in front of me, I saw that it seemed to fit what I needed. I, I needed to become a holy person because I definitely was not. Uh, still, I'm not, but I'm definitely working with it with the help of Kreml. Uh, I, I needed, uh, I needed the grace. I needed the discipline. I needed the things that the life asks us to do uh, in order to give us, give me a guideline. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, um, so for for the both of you, I mean, for for Jen, it started. Um, she kind of got connected with it at a more young age. Um, for you, it kind of came l- later, right? Like you were married at that point. Age 34. Yeah. 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 And, and so you had already had kids and whatnot and, yeah. and a family. So when, when they brought you in to, you know, to see the meetings, what were the, what were the requirements of being a Carmelite and, and were they, were they daunting to you? Well, again, they jived with what I was trying to do, uh, become an holier person and trying to use the sacraments. Uh, the requirements of going to daily mass at that time were much easier than they are now. At that time, I had just, my second just arrived. I now have five. Things of daily mass are a little more interesting now, but I do what I can. But at the time, uh, I the it was not too daunting. Uh, taking kids to mass gets easier when they're used to being in a pew on a daily basis. They behave, and it's not exactly something to be intimidating. Um, I find, especially when people get to know your children, they appreciate their presence. So you don't have to worry about uh, interrupting or whatever the case may be. Obviously, you take care of things as they happen. Yeah, Jen. Jen, for you, like, did you find that when you first were introduced to Carmel? Um, did you find that the way of life that that secular discalced Carmelites follow? Did you find that daunting? Um, I think for myself, more the extent a lot of the things that um, are sort of required on a daily basis for Carmelites, um, sort of uh, a daily mass, uh, praying liturgy of the hours, were things that I already was doing more or less. Um, I was attending daily mass already. I new liturgy of the hours and I prayed them maybe not super regularly but majority of the time for me what seemed more daunting was the idea of you know because I was young making that commitment for the rest of my life uh, so to me I I remember going to some of the meetings early on thinking like I have to come here once a month for the rest of my life like when i'm 70 am i still gonna want to be doing this but that really became not a problem very quick i mean i want to (laughs) go i'm very happy to go uh so it that part of it that stretch of it seemed because it's it, it is a lifelong commitment when you do decide to join um or if you decide to join but the basic routine wasn't super daunting to me. Probably a lot of it that was because I was not yet married and didn't have any kids. Some of the things became, I had to transition into a lot of different phases of my life through my time in Carmel because I went from unmarried to married to having children to having more children. I have four now. And each stage has been very different, bringing with it different challenges as well as different successes and so it it really is, it's you just take it one day at a time. Right. Yeah. Now we kind of we kind of touched on it on a little bit. So what what specifically are the requirements of of being a Carmelite? Well, the specific requirements to join are just that you're a faithful Catholic um, and that you're 18 years old. But as to the daily obligations. Um, you have to pray um, morning and evening prayer of the Liturgy of the Hours, uh, daily Mass as you're able, um, and then 30 minutes of mental prayer. And then there's sort of like a, a 
additional things, you know, praying the rosary, 15 minutes of spiritual reading, which are not necessarily um, obligated to you, but um, will definitely help you live the rest of your vocation more fully because they assist the other parts. Right. So Greg, for you, what, what of the requirements was for you, the perhaps the most difficult or the, or the most life-changing? If I had to pick one, the quiet prayer, the quiet prayer is definitely one that calls to my particular person. It's ability to withdraw from the world, withdraw and recharge with the Lord, to know that God dwells within your soul when you are in the state of grace, and to listen to him, not to always be speaking, to be open to the will of the Holy Spirit as he tells you to simply do what is right, do what is good, do what is true. And to center yourself on the Lord, it's uh, most. That's that. That was my greatest greatest thing. Is the uh, the empty, the uh, quiet prayer. Yeah, I've always liked being quiet. I've always liked being alone. I've always liked withdrawing from crowds and just simply being, because being is who he is, and by being we ourselves emulate that yeah that's true so how has becoming a carmelite impacted your um your family life in particular well it's kind of ground caramel because we only had the two at the time and the kids got easily used to the the hustle and bustle of the daily masses etc life of prayer was not hard to introduce because there are moments of quiet throughout the day especially when the kids go to bed we have a nice rule in the house to put the kids to bed at a nice hour usually around seven o'clock or so which affords even on a weekday the time for prayer the time for being uh, with each other uh, just talking as spouses to each other um so the adoptions weren't too great on the on the family as such uh, my wife is also a discalced carmelite which helps and uh in uh we've been asked to uh pray the uh the um the office in the morning and the evening together which is a wonderful thing so we're doing the we're doing the choir thing here in the in the house every day making our house that's a chapel of prayer um and uh, yeah the life of carmel has very much allowed me to bring the idea of a personal cloister no matter where you are even if you are in the midst of a bunch of screaming children or <laughs> in my case a bunch of uh teenagers uh, that's because uh, i'm a high school teacher um you can still find that god is with you especially uh, if you just simply lift up your mind and heart to god will be there yeah how about you jen how how has it impacted your your family life i know like for for greg you know he has it's kind of interesting because he's got his wife who's also a carmelite but your your husband's not correct so uh what 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 has been the impact uh in your own family life it's been a, a big blessing because um being able to have sort of um that routine of prayer for myself, I have to build that into my daily life with my kids. So it means that I have to teach my kids how to pray as well. I have to teach, I take them to mass as well. Uh, I mean, not just, I mean, we take them on Sunday, obviously, but I take them to daily mass if they're not at school and they're home with me. I don't always worry about if, if I'm doing vocal prayer, like liturgy, the hours, I just do it when I'm around them uh, because I don't necessarily have a, a you know a time where I can just set aside in the morning for either praying quietly to myself or praying it out loud. I remember when my two oldest were little, we were um, I I live on the lake. We were walking past the lake and it was a really windy, gusty day, and my oldest was probably only. Mm, four or five at the time and he started quoting part of the um the 
opening um, psalm, we always sing in, in morning prayer, uh, you know, bless the Lord, all you works of the Lord, praise and exalt him above all forever. Wow. He's in rivers, bless the Lord, you know. And he was like, Sophia, it's just like, you know, and they, he started going through it because they're just used to hearing it. Um, even though they're with me, they're hearing me say it. Um, so it's just helped to integrate, you know, scripture and liturgy into our regular routine of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, tangentially, I want to maybe mention that fact. Like within Carmel, there is a particular emphasis on on scripture and the word of God. You know, the the rule of St. Albert tells us to meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, I find that for myself, you know, I'm I'm a Carmelite also. You know, the I don't think I mentioned that at the beginning of the podcast. Not that it, <laughs> not that people don't know because I make it abundantly clear on the actual podcast. Um but yeah, you know, I find that I found that as I began my vocation in Carmel, I began to love the scriptures more and more and just just the richness and the beauty and spending time with Christ in the scriptures, you know, in Lexio Divina and things like that. Has that has that been the case for you guys as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Just the the because I don't really think of myself as someone who I can't like quote scripture to people the way some Protestants can, where they can be like, oh, Second Corinthians twenty four to thirty five says this. Um, I absolutely cannot do that. I don't have a mind for remembering specific scripture verses, but it, they're in my head. Mm. Um, so I quite frequently will, little snippets of things will come into my head during the day with different situations that are arising with people I'm talking to. It's It becomes, and I mean, that's what you want to have on your lips. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Not not you know the what you fill your mind with is what's going to come in you know there's always that saying garbage in garbage out um <laughs> if you're putting scripture in scripture will come out <laughs> yeah yeah for sure would you would you say that has been the case for you too greg that lexio loved- was a big part of uh what just my love of the bible I, I, I couldn't see myself living the way i do without it it is uh it is it is something that uh, is very central yeah i get those random quotes uh, from the bible and uh, yeah i can't quote uh, scripture as well as others but at the same time if you fill your mind with uh, with the bible then god builds on that nature and he gives you what you need from it as time goes on as as john said yeah yeah, it's 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 interesting, especially after doing things like the Liturgy of the Hours every day, you know, multiple times a day, just how familiar you become with those things. You know, you may start off and you may not know anything at all. And seven, eight years later, you realize that you've memorized Psalms, you know, like and yeah. it, it's neat how it just kind of becomes second nature. And yeah, like, especially with Liturgy of the Hours, it's it's so neat how the church has given us this, this grace to, well, Christ has given us the grace through the church to essentially perforate our day. And, you know, these moments of grace for us to stop and to turn to Christ, it, you know, the, the current catechism says that you know, we cannot learn to pray at all times until we pray, learn to pray at specific times, consciously willing it. And I think that that, um, I mean, that's the end goal for us as as Carmelites is union with God. And that's, that is made possible by means of prayer. So, you know, having these, these gifts, you know, such as, you know, things like daily mass, our time of mental prayer, the liturgy of the hours, you know, the divine office, these things are those moments where God <laughs> allows us to draw our minds back from the world. You know, we are, we're, we are secular people. We live in the world. We have worldly things that we have to do, but our heart remains, you know, able to be united to Christ. 
If I could add the history of this altar, excellent. Uh, it helps give you an idea of what the office is. Um, obviously, David was uh, the one who has attributed the uh, at least the vast majority of the Psalms, um, the King David. And while inspired by the Holy Spirit to write what he did, it became the the Psalter of the temple of the, of the old temple uh, before it was destroyed in eighty seventy. Once we, what we are singing or saying on a daily basis is the prayers of the temple of the old covenant that are brought forth through the new covenants uh, in order to understand uh, better who we are as people, who God is in relation to us. And God himself had Mary teach our blessed Lord these psalms to pray himself at the temple. And we are joining in in a mystical way with him at every time we open up our breviaries and start praying. We're, we're, there's a physical, there's a spiritual, metaphysical components. That's just, it's just beautiful to think about. That's really cool. So, yeah, coming coming back to that um, that question of prayer, like, so before you guys actually joined Carmel, was I, I know Jen kind of alluded to it, but for Greg, like, was there a consistent prayer life at that point? Like, was was mental prayer an important thing for you, or had you had you been aware that it existed, or? It was all very new to me. I basically had to, I was age 33 when the Holy Spirit woke me up and I had a lot to learn in a short amount of time. I knew nothing about everything and I had to learn it all uh, from square one. I knew the very bare bones basics. I went to church every Sunday uh, for 33 years, but I learned nothing. So, no, I, I didn't know what mental prayer was prior to joining into Carmel. I had to learn about the Liturgy of the Hours, although I had a copy and I would have prayed it prior to entering uh, Carmel from time to time. It was very inconsistent. My prayer life was non-existent, uh, for sure. I would do it, uh, yeah, almost almost never. Truth be told, I'm very ashamed to say. But uh, no, I, I had to learn about mental prayer. I had to read a lot. And uh, again, the, the readings that we do uh, at the Carmel uh, community uh, were very good in help directing me. That's awesome. How about you, Jen? Um, I definitely, I don't know how consistent in prayer I was. Uh, definitely not on a daily basis. I'd say I inconsistently, consistently prayed. <laughs> Um, it definitely didn't really do mental prayer, so to speak. Um, I mean, I would go to adoration I tried to go on a weekly basis. And then of course I was spending quiet time with our Lord, but it was very disjointed. I didn't know what to do, very distracted and would just kind of read, sit and read while I was there. And that was sort of what attracted me. A big part of it to Carmel was because I felt I was bad at praying and I wanted to learn how to be better at it. So, so now that, you know, now that you guys are, uh, you know, have been at it for a while, Jen has made, you've made your definitive promises. So you're a lifer at this point. Greg yep. still has an out. <laughs> I've made my definitive promises. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I wanted to ask, like, now that you guys have, have kind of experienced this, you know, in the in the midst of the craziness in the world and in the church right now, what has Carmel given you to deal with it? I guess I'll go. Yeah. Go um, Easy question. It is. The answer to the craziness in the world is only one. There is no other answer. It's holiness um, to make us saints. I was reading an article just yesterday. It was uh, Benedictine Oblate who was talking to uh, Hillary White. And she was saying, what would the world be like if only one in ten Catholics had obtained the mystical union? And... Everything that's going on in the church, everything that's going on in the world, they are connected, is answered by saints. That's it. God being made manifest because people are willing to do the will of God and not their own will. That's it. 
there's no other way. Yeah. So, so, so for you, when you look at Carmel, like how, how does your Carmelite vocation assist you in, in dealing with it personally? I know that like for me, I look out at the the state of the world, the state of the church, and it gets so frustrating. But for me, Carmel gives gives a lot of stuff to to deal with that. Like, what has that experience been like for you in particular? So, what I needed, what I need now is structure. I need to have that obedience that Jen talked about. I need to have that direction. Um, to make the ideals of a life in the Catholic Church requirements is a very excellent thing. Um, it, well, obviously, 30 minutes a day is, is, is a good thing to start on and build on, but I'm talking things like daily mass. I'm talking things like praying in the office. I'm talking things like developing your knowledge of scripture by reading it, spiritual readings, etc. These are the tools that we need to use and carmel instructs me to read this and do that and that gives me structure yeah jen how about you um i would say probably what carmel gives me is um sort of twofold one knowing that uh the first answer to all of it is prayer that's what my vocation um is is to to pray for uh our priests especially and and for our church. And I would say, secondly, I have less disturbance in my life as a result of it. I, I think because I have a, a more fuller view of life and uh, uh, of how God works through history, it has a history of craziness. Um, the church has been through many crises our world has been through many crises and we know that it'll get through them all um so on a personal level it it doesn't disturb me in the same way as it would have in the past it's it's there it's awful i hate it but there's a tranquility around it and knowing that it's in god's hands and is it'll all come to be as it should right right i don't you know, I was kind of thinking and, and meditating on that question today. And, you know, the I don't know if you would agree with this or not, but I feel like if there was a good news about Carmel that could be summed up, um, it's that heaven doesn't start later. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is that the, the gift that Christ gives us is not simply just eternal life later down the road, um, but it's a, but by his own incarnation, he's made it possible for us to experience that now in, in concrete ways. Um, and Carmel really brings that to the forefront by especially people like St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, you know, really that emphasis on um, helping us to understand that God does dwell within us and where God is, there is his kingdom. You know, with Teresa talking yeah. about the interior castle. I mean, you want to talk about a mess in the church. Let's look at our own interior castles. <laughs> you know, what a mess exactly. they can be, you know. And so, of course, the church would be uh, experiencing craziness when, you know, all of us have, in essence, in one way or another, abandoned our Lord interiorly, of course. you know. Yeah. So, I mean... The, the great news that Carmel, I think, gave to me was that it, it doesn't start later. It doesn't start at death. It can start now. We can begin to uh, grow in that union with God. And that that is an adventure. You know, when you start reading things like John of the Cross, St. Teresa of Avila, you realize this isn't just a cakewalk. This isn't a, no. a simple thing, right? And, you know, one thing that we, we constantly harp on um, on our other podcasts is that prayer is work. You know, it is a work. A lot of, yeah. you know, some criticisms that I've heard over the years is like, oh, well, you guys, all you do is pray or whatnot. And the truth is, I mean, that's 
I mean, especially for secular Carmelites, that's not the case. Um, but I mean, even for those who work in cloister, uh, who live in cloister, you know, that, that work of prayer that they do is salvific, not just for themselves, but for the church and the world. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, it, it was very interesting. I was talking with uh, one of the other guys on the podcast uh, about how, you know, there is this, among men, there is this attitude towards somewhat flowery language uh, when it comes to spirituality um, and aversion to that, mm-hmm. you know, um, talking about, uh, you know, God as, as spouse or, or lover. And, you know, but St. Teresa of Avila, like she talks about the four ways that we are to approach God, which is friend, brother, spouse, and king. What, you know, what would you say to somebody who um, may come up with an attack like that? I don't know if that's the right word, but a, but a that would challenge the idea that referring to God and looking to God by, you know, in loving language uh, is an, emas- an emasculating thing. It's. I think it's just a matter of stages. You're not ready for the nuptial union right away, so it makes sense that someone would not be turned on by that particular aspect at the first blush. But it's the aspect of sacrificing for your king is very manly. What's what's more chivalrous than that? Like the aspect of sacrifice of living for others uh these these are very excellent uh but over time you realize that nothing on this world will satisfy an intimacy with the divine is necessary and if you use the word intimacy then you're already getting into that aspect of spouse etc so yeah um, I know Jen had mentioned Saint Elizabeth of the Trinity. Um, she was introduced when she was a blessed to you. Yeah. Um, would you say that she is the the Carmelite saint that inspires you the most? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Tell tell, tell <laughs> I, us a little bit about her and why. To you, but yeah, yeah. Can you pardon? Yeah. Uh, sorry. Could you tell us a little bit about her and why you why you like her so much? Why I like her so much. Um, so she was a French uh, sister who lived uh, pretty well around the time of St. Therese of Lisieux. They just kind of, one, uh, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity died just before um, St. Therese, or maybe vice versa. I'm terrible with dates. Um <laughs> She was born into a uh, fairly well-off family, but just very early on fell in love with Christ and knew she wanted to be a Carmelite. Um, and, you know, was one of those that you hear of who's just, you know, waiting until she's old enough that they'll let her into Carmel. Very, very much similar to St. Therese. It's kind of funny that they were so close to each other yet never knew about one another. But she really builds on the um, interior dwelling of the Holy Spirit um, and actually of the entire Trinity. And all of her writings have to deal with this, that under, like you mentioned, that understanding that the entire kingdom of God, the Trinity itself, is right there within us. And what that means in terms of our our lives and you know it's hard to put into my own words just how beautiful her language is and being able to cap what that intimacy is Um, but to me it was so overwhelmingly beautiful Uh, she's a little bit she herself will say that she's a bit sensitive and a bit romantic um, which reminded me a bit of myself. <laughs> she had quite big notions very early on of, of how enraptured she was with our Lord and this idea of just being alone with God alone. And I, I fell in love with that statement when I read it, that, that idea of being alone with, with God alone. I'm a rather jealous person. And I don't like to share, and that includes um, my relationship with our Lord. <laughs> That's awesome. 
So for Greg, what what was what's a Carmelite saint that really? I got three. Yeah, I'll go from the obvious to less obvious. So John of the Cross is definitely one who I, I can read him. Uh, he's he's very straightforward. He's uh, very factual. He's also very poetic at the same time of being a philosopher and, and, and a theologian. You get this aspect of the scientific mind as well as a poetic mind. I'm very intrigued by that. And the combination is uh, most excellent. His poetry, his, his, his analysis is, is excellent. I uh, love reading it. Um, and uh, less obvious would be uh, Our Lady. Uh, she appeared at Fatima as Our Lady of Mount Carmel and that was something I'd miss uh, I'd forgotten to say back in the day why I became a Carmelite researching I knew about Fatima prior to uh, that time of conversion but uh, researching the time of, of, of her appearance of, of as Our Lady of Mount Carmel was an endorsement beyond endorsements she didn't appear in other habits she appeared in the Carmelite one so that says something and yeah the other one is elijah um having a connection to the old testament is something that is unique to carmel no other order uh possesses um his disciples obviously uh Elysius or Elisha, um followed him in his footsteps uh, throughout the books of kings um, and his followers kept going uh, to Mount Carmel. And according to legend, they were led a life of prayer and were one of the first uh, communities to embrace the, the new uh, dispensation in Christianity because they were so uh, prayerful. They were like Nathaniel, who my Lord said, I saw you under a fig tree. And he immediately said, you are the son of God. You are the Christ. The Carmelites also did this in like manner. They they converted. Uh, makes sense uh, since uh, that uh, was biblical. The Nathaniel uh, uh, thing, I mean. But uh, yeah, it's, it's it's I have a, a strong. Uh, that's where our scapular comes from. Is from uh, is from Elijah. So I have a strong connection to that saint. God bless. That's awesome. So, actually, maybe we can just quickly jump back into something that you had mentioned. For Carmelites, the devotion to the Blessed Mother is not—it's not as cut and dry as as it may be seen in other orders or or in the Universal Church. It takes on a particular flavor. Jen, how would you would would you be able to sum up? If you can't, that's totally fine. But uh, would you be able to sum up like how Carmelites approach Our Lady in particular? Uh, we approach her as. Um, mother, sister, and friend. Um, she is not just uh, an example for us. We imitate her. Oh, <laughs> to sum up, <laughs> I need. I was like, Ugh, I knew I brought my notes for a reason. <laughs> I don't think I put that Hold in on. the notes. I didn't put it in the notes, though. No, you didn't. You didn't. But I have constitutions with me. Good stuff. <laughs> Because it says it so much better than I can. I love this. So, Carmel contemplates Mary as mother and sister, as the perfect model of the disciple of the Lord, and as such, a model for the life of the members of the order. The Virgin of the Magnificat proclaims the break with the old order and announces the beginning of a new order in which God casts the mighty down from their thrones and exalts the poor. She is an ideal for us and our inspiration. We look to her as she, the, the moment of the incarnation, the moment of bringing Jesus to the temple, to her silence in his ministry, to standing at the foot of his cross, she is always silently contemplating. She always has the word uh, both physically there with her in, in Christ himself, but also continually in her heart. She's always meditating as we are told to do in our rule, meditating upon the word of the Lord day and night. So she's our ultimate example. That's awesome. And, and as our mother, we can fly to her for um, all of our instruction. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Thanks for thanks for summing that up. Um, one thing that we didn't mention, maybe we can mention this as well. Um, we didn't actually mention as part of our requirements of uh, of being a Carmelite, we we make promises of chastity, poverty, and obedience, and of the Beatitudes. Um, but that takes on a, a a different kind of again to use that word flavor uh, for us because we are we are Carmelites. So for us as as seculars, um, Greg, maybe you can you know give us a quick overview. Like, how does chastity, poverty, and obedience apply to us? Chastity is very much like the requirements of the Brown Scapular, and that one must live according to the state of one's life. Um, it is not just the mere the continence of the body but it is the continence of the mind the continence of the heart um we have to self-possess and uh, through that particular promise we are given graces in order to strengthen that ability to remain chaste with regards to obedience that one is much more straightforward just being obedient to the will of the church the will of the council who is overseeing the particular communities at the time and uh, to be uh, to the inspirations of god that come into our hearts from time to time of course if you have a spiritual director to also have that in mind uh, obedience is uh, a way of of being like Our Lady, uh, who who uh, was completely open to the will of God. The poverty one is the most interesting for a secular cam uh, a Carmelite, since it is the one that is least uh, straightforward. So we can take uh, vows in uh, the uh, obedience and in. Um, Oh, chastity, chastity. Yeah. but we cannot take uh, vows in terms of poverty again because it is less straight cut you can't just simply uh haul off to the desert and that's what the karma is <laughs> supposed to do um, <laughs> it's it's all about possession um who possesses what do your possessions possess you or are you in control with our with the help of our lord it is a matter of being um, detached. Detached. That's the word. Thank you so very much. You can't have a spiritual attachment to anything, nothing at all, except for our Lord. And it is easy to get distracted. If you find you are too attached to something, the promise reminds you you're supposed to live a promise of poverty. So you should not do too much purchasing on the internet you should not spend too much time on the internet you should not eat too much of all the bounty that surrounds us it's living a little lent every day uh is um yeah again it's a mastery of of, of the will uh to do not ours but his yeah that that sums it up great now jen like for with regards to the Beatitudes, um, I mean, there's so much there, but I mean, if you could kind of sum it up, you know, how, how would you say that we respond to that aspect of our call to Carmel? Just keep lobbing me the easy questions. I know. I've, you're the master of formation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm prepping you. <laughs> no. um, um, it sort of gives us like a plan of action for our life so more specifically than just saying a generalization of poverty chastity and obedience it's almost like a more specific way of how to live in relationship with with the world with our neighbors with our families um so like how we act on a day-to-day -day basis it gives us sort of that evangelical witness end of how to be bringing christ to every person that we meet and this witness christ more fully Cool. The end. Yeah, that's great, Jen. You did great. Okay. Yeah, so since you are a master of formation within your own community, obviously the, the Carmelite vocation is not for everyone, um, but what are some telltale signs that a lay person should maybe consider vocation to the secular order of Discalced Carmelites? 
So first of all, it's director of formation. Director of formation? Not master of formation. Okay, okay I'm sorry. <laughs> Why do we keep um, calling some... it master of formation, though? I don't know. Really? Okay, so you're the director of formation for your secular community. <laughs> So yeah, like what would you I what think, would you say? Or maybe is I'm a, wrong. Maybe it is master formation. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I it was director. Yes, it is director formation. Okay. Okay. Ah. Well, we'll we'll have <laughs> anyway. to include that in the bulletin. So please refer to Jen going yeah. forward as director of formation. Director of formation. Can I call myself no. the assistant to the director of formation? The assistant to the director. For me. Yes. Office administration. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. In fact, um, I insist that everyone calls themselves the assistant to the director of formation. <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah. Um, okay. Um, some telltale signs. I think that's a tricky one because each person's so unique and different. But I find when it comes to a, a call to a vocation, whether it's the religious life, the priesthood, or the secular order, God doesn't tend to be super subtle. Like, he usually will put some pretty obvious signposts. He'll either trick you into it, like he did with Greg, <laughs> or there will be lots of sort of telltale signs and sort of a pulling on your heart to wanting something more as to when you're actually joining a, a community, then it becomes both a mix of whether you feel, it'll feel like a fit. Like you'll feel at home. It'll feel like th that way of life will fit like a proper puzzle piece into your life. It isn't a burden. It's yeah. uh, a help, if anything. Uh, and then that gets affirmed by the, the community because as if they uh you might think you have a vocation but if they don't think you have a vocation it's because there does have to be that uh that affirmation from the community or from the council itself um and that of course will be unique to each person and each situation and but i would say if uh if something in this podcast speaks to you as a listener where you think, hey, that sounds great, or that sounds like something I'd really like looking into, that's telltale sign enough that you might have a vocation. If you listen to this and think, well, that's not for me, then stop listening. <laughs> right at the end of the podcast. Perfect. No, don't stop listening. Keep listening. <laughs> it should be mentioned that it, you shouldn't think that you have to be a master prayer to look at an invocation to Carmel. Yeah. Uh, Carmel's a school of prayer. I'm there because I need help in prayer. It's not because I'm good at it. And so just saying. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And, and you're not making a commitment out of the gate. Like, no. It's a slow process. Um, you take it one step at a time and it, you're not, you're not deciding on day one or even five years in that you're committing for the rest of your life. So you, you have lots of time before you have to have it all figured out. Um, yeah. So if you, you feel it prompting you a little bit, it's worth investigating. It certainly can't hurt. Yeah. For those of us in Canada, where can they find out more about the, uh, the order of secular discalced Carmelites? Google. <laughs> <laughs> And that's a wrap. Thanks so much. <laughs> uh, this has been a very interesting podcast because there are times where you know Jen's laughing, but you can't hear because the internet's so bad. Let's try to take a snapshot of that face. It's probably just going to be us again. <laughs> I might as well do a pose this time. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Got it. <laughs> oh boy. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> uh, That's Je amazing. Yeah, I'm sorry, Jen. See, this is this is all your fault That's because okay. you were like, "Oh, I want to see like physical. I need to be able to read physical cues and stuff." I'm like, "Well, we can we can do it via Skype." You're like, "Okay." 
So I blame you and your bad internet. Hey, hey, but here's the thing. You showed up and just like the Carmelite vocation, that's 99% of it is just (laughs) showing up. Right? Just showing up. Just showing up. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the the interesting thing about our vocation. Maybe we can just kind of end off with that. Is that what it does, especially when you begin to make your um, your promises, is it is it gives you a commitment, a thing, a rule of life that you you know, like, yeah, I don't feel like praying right now. But I got to do it because I made a promise, you know, and um, I made a promise to God, um, which, yeah, it's it's a different it, may, it takes on a different uh, tone when we do that. It's a lot it's a lot easier when we don't make those actual commitments to say, oh, I'm tired today. I'll just pray tomorrow or those things. But having kind of those anchors in our life of the promises always kind of draw you back and and keep you focused even even at the most difficult of times when prayer may be really dry and it may be a kind of a sucky moment in prayer or you know you're you're overtired or you're overstressed or whatever it it, it gives you those those points to come back to Is it's that, true it's true <laughs> awesome so um <laughs> So for anybody in Canada, they can find out about the secular order at ocds.ca, right? Yes. That's right. We do have... Or Google. Yeah, or just Google. That's great. Just Google. It knows all. So um, guys, do you have any other parting thoughts that you'd like to share before we close out the podcast? Carmel is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Woo! Yeah. Peace out. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks again so much, Jen and Greg, for joining me on the podcast today. This has been fun. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Well, have a great night, guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. Have you ever thought about joining a secular order? Or are you in one yourself? We'd love to know. Message us on Facebook or DM on Instagram at Theology of the Buddy or email us at theologyofthebuddy at gmail.com. Also, if you subscribe to us on Facebook, we would love to have you join Chris and I for one of our lovely Facebook Lives. We'd also love for you to send us a voicemail via Facebook Messenger. If you like what you heard today, please consider subscribing to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Also, in the spirit of Easter, Would you please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes? We'd so greatly appreciate it, as it helps us to get noticed within iTunes. Next week, the boys will be delving into the topic of the Blessed Mother, and the boys will share some great tips on how to grow in devotion to her. Make sure you're subscribed, so you'll know when it comes out. We'll save you a seat at the table. New episodes are released every Wednesday, so until then, stay trotty!